Well, good morning, church. Morning. Hello to those online. Welcome to you as well. Uh, we've had a great day of worship so far, and uh, let's keep it going. What do you say, church? That's right. Amen. That's right. Well, as we're gathered here today, we are in a sermon series. And uh, for those that haven't been with us, I want to do just a quick explanation because the name doesn't make any sense. We're in a sermon series called God's Electric Power Company, which is total gibberish. It means absolutely nothing except that uh, it's a little device to remember the order of some books in the Bible, uh, specifically Paul's letters on uh, the order they're, that they're in. And so G for God's is actually the Galatians, uh, E is actually the Ephesians, P is Philippians, and C is the Colossians. And so if you've ever are a trivia, and you say, hey, these four books of the Bible, put them in order, you now can do that. You're welcome. I know you need that, right? Or if you're in a Jeopardy contest or something. Uh, if you do win a lot of money in Jeopardy, though, just remember the sermon series somehow in this church uh, in that uh, winnings. As uh, we do get going, though, we are uh, in the third week, so we're actually in the power part or the Philippians part of our sermon series that we're jumping into today. And so what we've been doing is instead of kind of getting into the weeds, so to speak, of all the different great, amazing verses in these books. I mean, there's just so many good things to, to preach on. In fact, uh, planning this series, one of the hardest things to do is to figure out all the things I got to set aside to focus on the big picture, right? And so we've been focused on the big picture of each of these different books, and specifically uh, all the issues that are kind of around that. What was it written? Why was it written? And all those different things that we'll jump into uh, here today. But first, we got to understand, again, not every church is the same place. The Mediterranean world, especially where Paul is writing all these letters, is, is very diverse. It's very different wherever you go. And this is where the Philippi, Philippi, Philippi is, is what I'm trying to say, the church of Philippi. It is in what we call modern-day Greece, that specific part of Greece that's Macedonia that's up there, kind of off that kind of peninsula, but up towards the mainland. Uh, and that's where it is. Now, it's a very interesting place. Because unlike some of the other places that we've seen so far, Philippi was actually a full-on Roman colony. Specifically, it was a colony that was set up and designed to be basically Rome in another place, right? And so if you were there, it acted like Rome. It was Rome. It was everything was to do with Rome. And in fact, if you ever served in the army, part of your retirement was to go live in a place like Philippi. And so you can imagine this place is, when they say anybody is Lord, it is Caesar is Lord. No one else gets that claim. It is hardcore, big thing, and the gods are the gods of the Romans, and the people act like Romans, they dress like Romans, they, you know, they do everything like the Romans do because, guess what, they're Romans. It's a Roman colony. That's exactly who they are. And there was a lot of military service, a lot of nationalistic part of kind of pride, if you will, a lot of... A lot of veterans, if you will, would retire there and be living their life and their family and be given land there. And so it was a very uh, big place to be, yay, Rome, 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 right? And so when Jesus comes along, right, or not Jesus himself, but Jesus' followers come along and say, hey, Jesus is Lord, you can expect there were some issues, right, in such a context, in such a setting. And of course, we do hear about that. But we want to focus on this question. So like big picture wise, why is Paul writing this letter again? Because again, we want to remind ourselves this, is that Paul is going through great lengths. And any church, any letter that's written, any documentation that's, that's written in these times is extremely expensive. And not everybody can write, so they're almost positively hiring a scribe to write for them if they're not even a believer was there to actually could write and do these things. And then they had to actually pay someone to deliver it and send them uh, to go and deliver these things. And so, of course, what happened in those days is if you could go in person, if Paul could get there himself, he'd just go, Right? If Paul could send a designated person on his behalf, someone that he trusted and knew would do the right thing or solve an issue or a problem, he would just send them. 
And so when we get the letters of the Bible, basically those two things haven't happened, and the third option is I'm sending a letter, right? And so through great cost and a great effort, and you know, these things are drafted over and over again before they're actually sent. It's a huge, long process, but they are sent, and we still have record of these because the churches shared them with each other. Not only did this letter go to the, the church in Philippi, but they said, hey, these are really good. Let's copy them and send them off. And so they sent them to all the churches. And, you know, within a couple of centuries, every church around the whole entire Mediterranean had copies of letters such as these because they were found to be so valuable and so needed in the world. And they explained the gospel in so many different ways. Now, the church of Philippi is just like Ephesus. There's a bunch of stories in the Bible about the church and its growth there. For instance, if you go to Acts chapter 16, uh, you'll see a uh, slide real quick there. Go to Acts chapter 16, you'll notice a bunch of different stories that happened actually in the gospel getting to the church in Philippi. Uh, this is actually a picture of the kind of amphitheater that was there. Uh, it is a, was again a Roman colony, so they did all sorts of things like Romans, so they had naturally had a big, huge amphitheater where all sorts of events would take place and things like that. And it's a great place to go see ruins if you're ever going around and seeing stuff to, uh, to go over there and see it. But what happens actually in the story is Paul is given a vision. And he's sitting around, he's, he's actually kind of more like over in Turkey area, and he's given a vision, and it basically was somebody in his vision saying, hey, I'm from Macedonia, come share the gospel with me. And so he wakes up, and guess what he does? It's on his, his journey, right? And he gets up on his horse, or if you will, his, his chariot, if you will, or his boat, if you will, and goes straight over to the Macedonian area. When he gets there, he goes to different places, does different things, but one of the people that he meets is Lydia, who is a dyer and seller of purple cloths, which means that she is a very wealthy, a very influential, a very big person in the world to know. She is someone that uh, has a lot of authority, a lot of power, and all these different things. And it says that when they came across these people that were dyeing purple dyes, that these, uh, there was a bunch of women, and they heard the gospel from Paul, which is telling because they actually, you know, they intermingled with Paul and, the, and when he came in there. But then they also said, hey, this is great news. And they said, hey, come to our house. And so they actually started a home church in those houses of the, of the purple dyer, the cloth dyers, if you will, in that day. And so this church starts off, actually, normally it would just kind of start off in Jewish kind of context and things like that. But this church started off by people hearing the gospel and saying, yes, this is good news. But not only that, but there's a whole bunch of other stories. There's, there's a whole story about a fortune teller and a spirit that you can go look up. There's a, uh, the story also that uh, Paul gets put into prison and his comrades and there's the whole story of the jailer who, uh, uh, you know, there's this whole kind of thing where the, the God works in these great ways and the jail is opened up and Paul could have just walked right out. But he doesn't. <laughs> and so the jailer shows up and goes, he sees the door open and he knows his life is dead because if these, these prisoners have escaped, it's his life on the line. That's how this works. And so he gets there and Paul and them are still there. And they're singing hymns. And he's like, who are you guys, right? And so Paul and them are able to share the gospel with him. His life changes. His whole house gets baptized and gets into the faith. And God's just doing amazing work all around in these stories. You can go again and read about it in Acts chapter 16. And so Paul, again, just like the Ephesians, had a very deep relationship with the Philippians. They were really known to him. And in fact, when you read through this book, you'll notice a few different times he really mentions them in some great, amazing ways. This is a church that's doing everything right. And in fact, Philippians is one of my favorite books, actually, and a bunch of different reasons for that. But when you read through it, it's just one of these great books that Paul is just constantly just extending joy after joy after joy. It's like one of these books of just joy. If you want some joy in your life, read some Philippians, right? Just find it out and just open it up and start reading. But I also like it because it's kind of a, a master class, if you will, in 
well, I'll get to that in just a minute, what I mean by that. Now, when Paul writes this, just like when he's writing Ephesians, he's actually in jail. You remember what he said to the Ephesians when he was in jail? He said, um, hey, I'm in jail. And he said, don't be discouraged. In fact, don't be, if you don't want to be discouraged, show me that you're not discouraged. Live in these ways. He gave them a whole list of things that they were supposed to do. What's interesting is that when he writes to Philippi, the, the message isn't just nuanced. It's almost categorically different and deeper, I would say. We'll see that here in just a minute. But for instance, we know this because uh, Paul writes, like for instance, in this verse, he says, uh, in 418, he says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus, that's a person, the gifts you have sent. They are a fragrant offering and acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. In other words, what has happened in the days is, remember, if you're in prison back in this time, you're not really in a jail, or, or you're not in prison if to say that you're for your life. You're waiting, you're, you're kind of coming to the court and actually getting your verdict. And you weren't supplied food. You weren't, if it was cold, you didn't get blankets. Nothing happened. You relied on people coming to you and bringing things. And so what has happened is Paul is in jail, as we read through this rest of the book, we understand that. And what has happened is the church in Philippi has sent gifts, as in monetary gifts and things to supply Paul, if you will, to Paul while he's in prison. And Epaphroditus has come, he's the person who's brought this, and we read in it that Epaphroditus actually got sick on the behalf of this journey, almost died and things like that, and Paul reports back to him, hey, he's doing fine, he's doing great in this book and all these different things, but he reminds him, hey, I got this gift. And it's a pleasing and great, beautiful thing. So one of the primary reasons why Paul writes this letter is he's writing to a church that's doing everything right, and he's saying, thank you. He's letting them know, hey, I received what you sent, and it's more than enough. It's super generous. It's such a blessing. You don't have to send anything else. I'm good, right? We got this, right? Thank you so much, and you're providing this. And not only that, but Epaphroditus has been faithful, the person you sent to bring these gifts to me. He not only got here, and you heard he was sick, but hey, he's okay. And so all these things are why Paul's writing back in this time to this church. But of course, Paul being Paul didn't just say, hey, thanks for the gift, Paul, right? He's like, whoa, I'm already writing to him. Let's encourage him some more, right? And so this church that's doing everything right, he actually extends the master class. And what I mean by that is this, is that, you know, remember when you took, uh, well, those in, you know, school and things like that, if you went to college and things, uh, there was those intro classes, right, for your major or whatever. And then there were like kind of the, the meteor classes. And then there were kind of like the mastery classes at the end, right? Well, same thing here, right, is what I'm trying to say, is that if you look at the message that Paul has here, it's not the intro message. It's not, hey, remember Jesus, here's what he did for you, right, even though he always takes some time to do that and remind people. It's not his main purpose. So it's not the intro class. And a lot of the things that, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, is also there, but it's not really the thrust of what he's saying. He's giving the master class of a faithful church and a faithful people throughout this book. Now, here's what I mean by that. Remember in Ephesians, he goes on and he says, he says in so many different ways, like, do this, do this, do this. But in Philippians, he totally takes something that you and I encounter in every single person on earth and flips it. You've heard of suffering, you've heard of persecution, you've heard of all these different things. And in so many ways, we'd say, oh, Lord, please don't bring this in my life. Please don't, please don't, please don't. And he's writing to a people, again, when they go out and preach Jesus as Lord, it's not safe. They're in Philippi. It is Roman. Caesar is Lord. No one else is. And so to just proclaim that is a huge, huge risk of your life. And yet people do. And so he says these words in, he, in chapter 2 of Philippians. He says, I'll just read it to you here. He says, if you have any encouragement 
from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion make my joy complete, be like-minded, having the same love and being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look after to his own interests, but also those of the interest of others, which again, okay, so do this, do this, do this, and then he goes, here's why. And he reminds us who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And so he quotes, he says, your attitude should be the same of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but instead he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death, even to death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Caesar doesn't like that, by the way. And in heaven, on earth, and in under earth, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And then he goes on and he says, hey, if you do this, shine like a star. Now, did you see what he did there? In this, he wasn't just saying, hey, do this, do this. He's saying, be like Jesus. And specifically, how do you be like Jesus? You don't grasp for power. Matter of fact, you flip it upside down and you do everything you can to humble thyself, to give the power to others and to love other people through service and through becoming like them. He goes on and he says many times in this book, hey, be like me. And he's doing the exact same things. And he even redefines suffering. He says, yeah, I'm in chains. But you know what? That's okay. Because to live is Christ. To die is Christ. If I go before you know, the, the authorities and they kill me, it's to my gain. I'm with Jesus. If I don't, it's to your gain. Because I'm here and I get to keep preaching and doing different things. Everything is for Jesus. And he goes on and he talks about the sufferings that he's encountered. He says, hey, I've encountered all sorts of stuff. I've encountered being hungry, I've encountered being you know, weak, I've encountered being strengthened and all these different things, and yet I know this truth. You guys know this verse that's quoted often in Philippians 4.13. In the context, he's saying, I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, when he's given this master class, he's saying, be like Jesus. Empty yourself. And he's doing this very thing. He's emptied himself to where he's in jail. Epaphroditus, he gives the example, has emptied himself to where he almost died because he got sick. He gives the example of Timothy, who's emptied himself to where he's been faithful with, with God's church. And in fact, we read on in later chapters of Paul's letters that Timothy is kind of like the torchbearer of Paul later on when he's chosen by Paul to sort of carry the, churches, or carry the torch that is for many different churches in his letters to him. You see, God wants us to empty ourselves. Again, that image, that's so amazing. And in the midst of all this, this was a church I just looked up. Every now and then I like to look up the, the, what other churches do for their PowerPoints, and I just grabbed this and ripped it off. No idea, because they just have their symbols, so I had no idea who to give credit to. But I loved it, because it just says Philippians. There's a little kid, of course, in their boots in the rain. It's raining and all sorts of crazy stuff's going on. But you know what a kid does with rain. He's an opportunity, right? And what Paul is saying is, hey, your sufferings, when you get persecuted or when all those things happen to you, rejoice, because you're like Jesus. He says again, this, this is the book of joy. If you read it, he's saying, hey, all this stuff's going to happen to you, but rejoice because you're being like Jesus. You're being like Jesus. It's full of joy. And this great 
irony that happens in life is that you would think the way in our world, the way to joy would be to get as much as you can, excel your job as much as you can, get all the things that everybody looks at and says, oh, we need that, we need that, we need that. And Scripture says, no, rubbish. Empty yourself for joy. Serve other people for joy and do amazing things. We don't have time to talk about it today, but just another quick note. There's some interesting things to think about in the consequences of, we looked at kind of the idea of uh, what it means for the church when Paul writes different letters, because he mentions in this letter a bunch of different women who are leaders throughout the story. Also in Acts, we, we hear, read about it too. And so one of the things that we have to look at this book, and whenever you read interpreting scripture, is you have to take this book with other books and put them together and try to figure out what Paul is saying. So sometimes when we quote Paul in some other books, you have him saying this, but he doesn't say that to the Philippian church. And so there's some interesting things, especially with the role of women and the role of ministry and their role and their, their faithfulness in the church uh, to discuss, and we'll, it's beyond today's scripture, but just to make mention of it here today. But if we're going to take one thing from Philippians, it's be like Jesus. Humble thyself, even through suffering, because that's when the Lord is lifted up. That's also when you find joy. That's also when life to its fullest and its truest becomes part of who you are in the lives around you as well. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much again for your love. We thank you so much for being in this room. God, it's not an easy thing to humble ourselves. It's not an easy thing to not seek power or comfort or all the creature things of this world. But Lord, we know that when we don't pursue those things and instead pursue loving people, when we pursue emptying ourselves and helping others, when we pursue being the best we can be for our family and giving our kids the best attention we can, when we do our work to its fullest and actually try to improve the people's lives that come in or out of whatever we do for our work, when we faithfully be part of our friends' lives and be there for them when hard times come upon them. For all these things and much, much more, Lord, we know that you're honored. So God, again, we take these steps of faith to become like you. To not just do actions that are Christian-ish, but actually be like Jesus. So God, to bring in the kingdom of heaven to this earth. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.